Chapter 16, Sanitarium Dietary. Rational care and good food. Institutions for the care of the sick are to be established where those who are suffering from disease may be placed under the care of God-fearing medical missionaries and be treated without drugs. To these institutions there will come those who have brought disease upon themselves by improper habits of eating and drinking, and a simple, wholesome, palatable diet is to be provided. There is to be no starvation diet. Wholesome articles of food are to be combined in such a way as to make appetizing dishes. We wish to build a sanitarium where maladies may be cured by nature's own provisions and where the people may be taught how to treat themselves when sick, where they will learn to eat temperately of wholesome food and be educated to refuse all narcotics, tea, coffee, fermented wines, and stimulants of all kinds, and to discard the flesh of dead animals. Responsibility of physicians, dietitians, and nurses. It is the duty of the physician to see that wholesome food is provided and it should be prepared in a way that will not create disturbances in the human organism. Physicians should watch unto prayer, realizing that they stand in a position of great responsibility. They should prescribe for their patients the food best suited for them. This food should be prepared by one who realizes that he occupies a most important position inasmuch as good food is required to make good blood. An important part of the nurse's duty is the care of the patient's diet. The patient should not be allowed to suffer or become unduly weakened through lack of nourishment nor should the enfeebled digestive powers be overtaxed. Care should be taken so to prepare and serve the food that it will be palatable, but wise judgment should be used in adapting it to the needs of the patient, both in quantity and quality. Seek the comfort and goodwill of the patients. The patients are to be provided with an abundance of wholesome, palatable food prepared and served in so appetizing a way that they will have no temptation to desire flesh meat. The meals may be made the means of an education in health reform. Care is to be shown in regard to the combinations of food given to the patients. Knowledge in regard to proper food combinations is of great worth and is to be received as wisdom from God. The hours for meals should be so arranged that the patients will feel that those in charge of the institution are working for their comfort and health. Then, when they leave the institution, they will not carry away with them the leaven of prejudice. In no case is a course to be followed that will give the patients the impression that the time of meals 
has been fixed by unalterable laws. If, after dispensing with the third meal in the sanitarium, you see by the results that this is keeping people away from the institution, your duty is plain. We must remember that while there are some who are better for eating only two meals, there are others who eat lightly at each meal and who feel that they need something in the evening. Food enough is to be eaten to give strength to sinew and muscle, and we are to remember that it is from the food eaten that the mind gains strength. Part of the medical missionary work that our sanitarium workers are to do is to show the value of wholesome food. It is right that no tea, coffee, or flesh meat be served in our sanitariums. To many, this is a great change and a severe deprivation. To enforce other changes, such as a change in the number of meals a day, is likely, in the cases of some, to do more harm than good. Require only necessary changes in habits and customs. Those connected with this institution are to remember that God wants them to meet the patients where they are. We are to be the helping hand of God in presenting the great problems of the truth for this time, and we must not attempt to interfere unnecessarily with the habits and customs of those who are in the sanitarium as patients or guests. Many of these people come to this retired place to remain a few weeks only, to compel them for so short a time to change their hours for meals is to subject them to great inconvenience. If you do this, you will find after test and trial that you have made a mistake. Learn what you can in regard to the habits of the patients and do not require them to change these habits when by the change nothing special is gained. The atmosphere of the institution should be cheerful and homelike and as social as possible. Those who come for treatment should be made to feel at home. Abrupt changes in regard to meals will keep them in an unsettled state of mind. Feelings of discomfort will be the result of the interruptions of their habits. Their minds will be disturbed and this will bring about unnatural conditions by which they will be robbed of the blessings that they might otherwise obtain. When it is necessary to change their habits, do this so carefully and so pleasantly that they will look upon the change as a blessing rather than a discomfort. Let your regulations be so consistent that they will appeal to the reason of those even who have not been educated to see all things clearly. As you strive to introduce the renovating, transforming principles of truth into the life practice of those who come to the sanitarium to gain improvement in health, let them see that no arbitrary exactions 
are laid on them. Give them no reason to feel that they are compelled to follow a course that they do not choose. Make dietetic changes gradually. This was written in 1904. In the night season, I was talking with you both. I had some things to say to you on the diet question. I was talking freely with you, telling you that you would have to make changes in your ideas in regard to the diet to be given those who come to the sanitarium from the world. These people have lived improperly on rich food. They are suffering as a result of indulgence of appetite. A reform in their habits of eating and drinking is needed. But this reform cannot be made all at once. The change must be made gradually. The health foods set before them must be appetizing. All their lives, perhaps, they have had three meals a day and have eaten rich food. It is an important matter to reach these people with the truths of health reform. But in order to lead them to adopt a sensible diet, you must set before them an abundant supply of wholesome, appetizing food. Changes must not be made so abruptly that they will be turned from health reform instead of being led to it. The food served to them must be nicely prepared and it must be richer than you or I would eat. I write this because I am sure that the Lord means you to have tact in meeting the people where they are, in their darkness and self-indulgence. As far as I am concerned, personally, I am decidedly in favor of a plain, simple diet. But it will not be best to put worldly, self-indulgent patients on a diet so strict that they will be turned from health reform. This will not convince them of the need of a change in their habits of eating and drinking. Tell them the facts. Educate them to see the need of a plain, simple diet and make the change gradually. Give them time to respond to the treatment and the instruction given them. Work and pray and lead them along as gently as possible. I remember once at blank when at the sanitarium there I was urged to sit at the table with the patients and eat with them that we might become acquainted. I saw then that a decided mistake was being made in the preparation of the food. It was put together in such a way that it was tasteless and there was not more than two-thirds enough. I found it impossible to make a meal that would satisfy my appetite. I tried to bring about a different order of things, and I think that matters were helped. Education to accompany reforms. In dealing with the patients in our sanitariums, we must reason from cause to effect. We must remember that the habits and practices of a lifetime cannot be changed in a moment. With an intelligent cook and an abundant supply of wholesome food, reforms can be brought about that will work well, but it may take time to bring them about. A strenuous effort 
should not be made unless it is actually demanded. We must remember that food, which would be appetizing to a health reformer, might be very insipid to those who have been accustomed to highly seasoned food. Lectures should be given, explaining why reforms in diet are essential, and showing that the use of highly seasoned food causes inflammation of the delicate lining of the digestive organs. Let it be shown why we as a people have changed our habits of eating and drinking. Show why we discard tobacco and all intoxicating liquor. Lay down the principles of health reform clearly and plainly. And with this, let there be placed on the table an abundance of wholesome food, tastefully prepared. And the Lord will help you to make impressive the urgency of reform and will lead them to see that this reform is for their highest good. They will miss the highly seasoned food to which they have been accustomed, but an effort must be made to give them food that is so wholesome and so appetizing that they will cease to miss the unwholesome dishes. Show them that the treatment given them will not benefit them unless they make the needed change in their habits of eating and drinking. In all our sanitariums, a liberal bill of fare should be arranged for the patient's dining room. I have not seen anything very extravagant in any of our medical institutions, but I have seen some tables that were decidedly lacking in a supply of good, inviting, and palatable food. Often, patients at such institutions, after remaining for a while, have decided that they were paying a large sum for room, board, and treatment without receiving much in return, and have therefore left. Of course, complaints, greatly to the discredit of the institution, were soon in circulation. The extremes. There are two extremes, both of which we should avoid. May the Lord help everyone connected with our medical institutions not to advocate a meager supply of food. The men and women of the world who come to our sanitariums often have perverted appetites. Radical changes cannot be made suddenly for all these. Some cannot at once be placed on as plain a health reform diet as would be acceptable in a private family. In a medical institution, there are varied appetites to satisfy. Some require well-prepared vegetables to meet their peculiar needs. Others have not been able to use vegetables without suffering the consequence. The poor, sick dyspeptics need to be given many words of encouragement. Let the religious influence of a Christian home pervade the sanitarium. This will be conducive to the health of the patients. All these things have to be managed carefully and prayerfully. The Lord sees the difficulties to be adjusted, and he will be your helper. Vary the bill of fare. Yesterday I wrote to you some things that I hope will in no wise confuse you.
I may have written too much in regard to the importance of having a liberal dietary in our sanitariums. I have been in several medical institutions where the supply of food was not as liberal as it should have been. As you well know, in providing for the sick, we must not follow one set regimen, but must frequently vary the bill of fare and prepare food in different ways. I believe that the Lord will give all of you good judgment in the preparation of food. Those who come to our sanitariums for treatment should be provided with a liberal supply of well-cooked food. The food placed before them must necessarily be more varied in kind than would be necessary in a home family. Let the diet be such that a good impression will be made on the guests. This is a matter of great importance. The patronage of a sanitarium will be larger if a liberal supply of appetizing food is provided. Again and again I have left the tables of our sanitarium hungry and unsatisfied. I have talked with those in charge of the institutions and have told them that their diet needed to be more liberal and the food more appetizing. I told them to put their ingenuity to work to make the necessary change in the best way. I told them to remember that what would perhaps suit the taste of health reformers would not answer at all for those who have always eaten luxuries, as they are termed. Much may be learned from the meals prepared and served in a successfully conducted hygienic restaurant. Avoid extremes. Unless you give much attention to this matter, your patronage will decrease instead of increasing. There is danger of going to extremes in diet reform. Last night I was in my sleep talking with Dr. So-and-so. I said to him, you must still exercise care in regard to extremes in diet. You must not go to the extremes either in your own case or in regard to the food provided for the helpers and patients at the sanitarium. The patients pay a good price for their board, and they should have liberal fare. Some may come to the sanitarium in a condition demanding stern denial of appetite and the simplest fare, but as their health improves, they should be liberally supplied with nourishing food. You may be surprised at my writing this, but last night I was instructed that a change in the diet would make a great difference in your patronage. A more liberal diet is needed. The danger of going to extremes in diet must be guarded against in the sanitarium. We cannot expect worldlings to accept at once that which our people have been years in learning. Even now there are many of our ministers who do not practice health reform, notwithstanding the light they have had. We cannot expect those who do not realize the need of abstemiousness in diet, who have had no practical experiences on this subject, to take at once the wide step between self-indulgence in eating and the most strenuous diet in health reform. Those who come to the sanitarium must be provided with wholesome food prepared in the most palatable way consistent with right principles. 
We cannot expect them to live just as we live. The change would be too great. And there are very few throughout our ranks who live so abstemiously as Dr. Blank has thought it wise to live. Changes must not be made abruptly when the patients are not prepared for them. The food placed before the patients should be such as to make a favorable impression on them. Eggs can be prepared in a variety of ways. Lemon pie should not be forbidden. Too little thought and painstaking effort has been given to making the food tasty and nourishing. We do not want that the sanitarium shall be destitute of patients. We cannot convert men and women from the error of their ways unless we treat them wisely. Get the best cook possible and do not limit the food to that which would suit the taste of some who are rigid health reformers. Were the patients given this food only, they would become disgusted because it would taste so insipid. It is not thus that souls are to be won to the truth in our sanitariums. Let the cautions that the Lord has given Brother and Sister Blank in regard to extremes in diet be heeded. I was instructed that Dr. So-and-so must change his diet and eat more nourishing food. It is possible to avoid rich cooking and yet make the food palatable. I know that every extreme in diet that is brought into the sanitarium will hurt the reputation of the institution. There is a way of combining and preparing food that will make it both wholesome and nourishing. Those in charge of the cooking in our sanitariums should understand how to do this. The matter should be treated from a Bible standpoint. There is such a thing as robbing the body of nutrition. The preparation of the food in the best manner possible is to become a science. Influence of short rations or unpalatable food. They must have the best quality of all sorts of healthful food. Those who have been in the habit of indulging the appetite with every luxury, if they come to the retreat and find at their first meal a meager diet, the impression is made at once on their minds that the reports which they have heard concerning the Adventists living so poor and starving themselves to death is true. One meal of short rations will do more to the discredit of the institution than all the influences in other directions that can be made to counteract it. If we ever expect to meet the people where they are and bring them up to a sensible health reform diet, we must not begin by setting before them a radical diet. There must be placed upon the table nicely cooked dishes and an abundance of good palatable food, else those who think so much of what they eat will think they will surely starve to death. We want to have good dishes nicely prepared. Flesh foods not a part of the sanitarium dietary. I have received instruction in regard to the use of flesh meat in our sanitariums. Flesh meat should be excluded from the diet, and its place should be supplied by wholesome, palatable food 
prepared in such a way as to be appetizing. Brother and Sister Blank, I wish to present for your consideration a few points that have been revealed to me since first there arose the difficulties connected with the question of discarding flesh meat from the tables of our medical institutions. I have been plainly instructed by the Lord that flesh meat should not be placed before the patients in our sanitarium dining rooms. Light was given me that the patients could have flesh meat if, after hearing the parlor lectures, they still urged us to give it to them, but that in such cases it must be eaten in their own rooms. All the helpers are to discard flesh meat, but, as stated before, if, after knowing that the flesh of animals cannot be placed on the dining room tables, a few patients urge that they must have meat, cheerfully give it to them in their rooms. Accustomed as many are to the use of flesh meat, it is not surprising that they should expect to see it on the sanitarium table. You may find it unadvisable to publish the bill of fare, giving a list of the foods supplied at the table, for the absence of flesh meat from the dietary may seem a formidable obstacle to those who are thinking of becoming patrons of the sanitarium. Let the food be palatably prepared and nicely served. More dishes will have to be prepared than would be necessary if flesh meat were served. Other things can be provided so that meats can be discarded. Milk and cream can be used by some. No prescription for flesh food. Instruction has been given me that physicians who use flesh meat and prescribe it for their patients should not be employed in our institutions because they fail decidedly in educating the patients to discard that which makes them sick. The physician who uses and prescribes meat does not reason from cause to effect, and instead of acting as a restorer, he leads the patient by his own example to indulge perverted appetite. The physicians employed in our institutions should be reformers in this respect and in every other. Many of the patients are suffering because of errors in diet. They need to be shown the better way. But how can a meat-eating physician do this? By his wrong habits, he trammels his work and cripples his usefulness. Many of the patients in our sanitariums have reasoned out for themselves the question of meat-eating, and desiring to preserve their mental and physical faculties from suffering, have left meat out of their dietary. Thus, they have obtained relief from the ills which have tortured their lives. Many, not of our faith, have become health reformers because, from a selfish standpoint, they saw the consistency of doing this. Many have conscientiously taken their position on health reform in diet and dress. Will Seventh-day Adventists continue to follow unhealthful practices? Will they not heed the injunction, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God? Caution 
in prescribing no flesh foods. The light that God has given upon the subject of disease and its causes needs to be dwelt upon largely, for it is the wrong habits of indulgence of appetite and careless, reckless inattention to proper care for the body that tell upon people. Habits of cleanliness, care in regard to that which is introduced into the mouth, should be observed. You are to make no prescriptions that flesh meats shall never be used, but you are to educate the mind and let the light shine in. Let the individual conscience be awakened in regard to self-preservation and self-purity from every perverted appetite. This meat-eating question needs to be guarded. When one changes from the stimulating diet of meat-eating to the fruit and vegetable diet, there will always be, at first, a sense of weakness and a lack of vitality, and many urge this as an argument for the necessity of a meat diet. But this result is the very argument that should be used in discarding a meat diet. The change should not be urged to be made abruptly, especially for those who are taxed with continuous labor. Let the conscience be educated, the will energized, and the change can be made much more readily and willingly. The consumptives who are going steadily down to the grave should not make particular changes in this respect, but care should be exercised to obtain the meat of as healthy animals as can be found. Persons with tumors running their life away should not be burdened with the question as to whether they should leave meat-eating or not. Be careful to make no stringent resolution in regard to this matter. It will not help the case to force changes, but will do injury to the non-meat-eating principles. Give lectures in the parlor. Educate the mind, but force no one, for such reformation made under a press is worthless. There needs to be presented to all students and physicians, and by them to others, that the whole animal creation is more or less diseased. Diseased meat is not rare, but common. Every phase of disease is brought into the human system through the subsisting upon the flesh of dead animals. The feebleness and weakness in consequence of a change from a meat diet will soon be overcome, and physicians ought to understand that they should not make the stimulus of meat-eating essential for health and strength. All who leave it alone intelligently, after becoming accustomed to the change, will have health of sinews and muscles. Dr. Blank asked me if, under any circumstances, I would advise the drinking of chicken broth if one were sick and could not take anything else into the stomach. I said, there are persons dying of consumption who, if they ask for chicken broth, should have it, but I would be very careful. The example should not injure a sanitarium or make excuse for others to think their case required the same diet. I asked Dr. Blank 
if she had such a case in the sanitarium. She said, no, but I have a sister in the sanitarium at blank who is very weak. She has weak sinking spells, but cooked chicken she can eat. I said it would be best to remove her from the sanitarium. The light given me is that if the sister you mention would brace up and cultivate her taste for wholesome food, all these sinking spells would pass away. She has cultivated her imagination. The enemy has taken advantage of her weakness of body, and her mind is not braced to bear up against the hardships of everyday life. It is good, sanctified mind cure she needs, an increase of faith and active service for Christ. She needs also the exercise of her muscles in outside practical labor. Physical exercise will be to her one of the greatest blessings of her life. She need not be an invalid, but a wholesome-minded, healthy woman prepared to act her part nobly and well. All the treatment that may be given to this sister will be of little advantage unless she acts her part. She needs to strengthen muscle and nerve by physical labor. She need not be an invalid, but can do good, earnest labor. Do not let it appear. I met the doctors and Brother Blank and talked with them for about two hours, and I freed my soul. I told them that they had been tempted and that they were yielding to temptation. In order to secure patronage, they would set a meat table, and then they would be tempted to go farther, to use tea and coffee and drugs. I said, there will be temptation through the ones whose appetite for meat has been gratified, and if such ones have connection with the health home, they will present temptations to sacrifice principle. There must not be the first introduction of meat eating. Then there will not need to be an expulsion of meat, because it will never have appeared on the table. The argument had been used that they might use meat upon the table until they could educate in regard to its disuse. But as new patients were continually coming, the same excuse would establish meat eating. No, do not let it appear on the table once. Then your lectures in regard to the meat question will correspond with the message you should bear. Serving tea, coffee, and flesh meat in patients' rooms. In our sanitariums, no tea, coffee, or flesh meat is to be served unless it is in some special case where the patient particularly desires it, and then these articles of food should be served to him in his room. Tea, coffee, and flesh meat not to be prescribed. Physicians are not employed to prescribe a flesh diet for patients, for it is this kind of diet that has made them sick. Seek the Lord. When you find Him, you will be meek and lowly of heart. Individually, you will not subsist upon the flesh of dead animals, neither will you put one morsel in the mouths of your children. You will not prescribe flesh, tea, or coffee for your patients, 
but will give talks in the parlor showing the necessity of a simple diet. You will cut away injurious things from your bill of fare. To have the physicians of our institutions educating by precept and example those under their care to use a meat diet after years of instruction from the Lord disqualifies them to be superintendents of our health institutes. The Lord does not give light on health reform that it may be disregarded by those who are in positions of influence and authority. The Lord means just what he says, and he is to be honored in what he says. Light is to be given upon these subjects. It is the diet question that needs close investigation, and prescriptions should be made in accordance with health principles. Liquor not to be served. We are not building sanitariums for hotels. Receive into our sanitariums only those who desire to conform to right principles, those who will accept the foods that we can conscientiously place before them. Should we allow patients to have intoxicating liquor in their rooms, or should we serve them with meat, we could not give them the help they should receive in coming to our sanitariums. We must let it be known that from principle we exclude such articles from our sanitariums and hygienic restaurants. Do we not desire to see our fellow beings freed from disease and infirmity and in the enjoyment of health and strength? Then let us be as true to principle as the needle to the pole. Dishes inviting appetite. We cannot mold the minds of worldlings to health reform principles all at once. Therefore, we must not set down too stringent rules in regard to the diet of the patients. When worldly patients come to the sanitarium, they have to make a great change in their dietary and that they may feel the change as little as possible, the very best cookery in healthful lines should be brought in, the most palatable and inviting dishes placed upon the table. Those who pay for board and treatment should have their food prepared in the most palatable form. The reason for this is obvious. When the patients are deprived of flesh foods, the system feels the change. There is a feeling of letting down, and they will demand a liberality in their diet. Dishes should be prepared that will invite the appetite and will be pleasing to the sight. Foods for invalids. A liberal diet should be provided for the patients, but care should be taken in the preparation and combination of food for the sick. The table of a sanitarium cannot be set exactly the same as the table of a restaurant. It makes a great difference whether the food is to be placed before healthy men who can digest almost anything in the line of food or before invalids. There is danger of providing too limited a diet for people who have come directly from a diet so abundant as to encourage gluttony. The fare should be liberal, but at the same time it should be simple. I know that food can be prepared simply, 
and yet be so palatable as to be enjoyed even by those who have been accustomed to a richer fare. Let fruit be placed on the table in abundance. I am glad that you are able to provide for the sanitarium table fresh fruit from your own orchards. This is indeed a great advantage. The education of the sanitarium table. In the preparation of the food, the golden rays of light are to be kept shining, teaching those who sit at the table how to live. This education is also to be given to those who visit the health retreat that they may carry from it reformatory principles. The preparation of food for sanitarium patients needs close and careful attention. Some of the patients come from homes in which the tables are daily loaded with rich food, and every effort should be made to set before them food that is both appetizing and wholesome. To recommend health reform. The Lord would have the institution with which you are connected one of the most satisfying and enjoyable places in the world. I want you to show special care in providing for the patients a diet that will not endanger health and at the same time will recommend our principles of health reform. This can be done, and being done, it will make a favorable impression on the minds of the patients. It will be an education to them, showing them the advantage of hygienic living above their own way of living. And when they leave the institution, they will carry with them a report that will influence others to go there. The Helper's Table You have too little care and feel too lightly the burden of providing an orderly, ample repast for your workers. They are the ones who need an abundance of fresh, wholesome provision. They are constantly taxed. Their vitality must be preserved. Their principles should be educated. They, of all in the sanitarium, should be abundantly furnished with the best and most wholesome, strength-giving food. The table of your helpers should be furnished not with meat, but with an abundant supply of good fruit, grains, and vegetables, prepared in a nice, wholesome way. Your neglect to do this has increased your income at altogether too great an expense to the strength and souls of your workers. This has not pleased the Lord. The influence of the entire fair does not recommend your principles to those that sit at the helper's table. The cook, a medical missionary. Obtain the best help in the cooking that you can. If food is prepared in such a way that it is a tax on the digestive organs, be sure that investigation is needed. Food can be prepared in such a way as to be both wholesome and palatable. The cook in a sanitarium should be a thorough health reformer. A man is not converted unless his appetite and diet correspond with his profession of faith. The cook in a sanitarium should be a well-trained medical missionary. He should be a capable person, able to experiment for himself. He should not confine himself to recipes. The Lord loves us, 
and he does not want us to do ourselves harm by following unhealthful recipes. At every sanitarium, there will be some who will complain about the food, saying that it does not suit them. They need to be educated in regard to the evils of unhealthful diet. How can the brain be clear while the stomach is suffering? There should be in our sanitarium a cook who thoroughly understands the work, one who has good judgment, who can experiment, who will not introduce into the food those things which should be avoided. Have you a cook who can prepare dishes that the patients cannot help but see are an improvement on the diet to which they have been accustomed? The one who does the cooking in a sanitarium should be able to make wholesome, appetizing food combinations, and these food combinations must necessarily be somewhat richer than you or I would eat. The one who holds the position as cook has a most responsible place. He should be trained in habits of economy and should realize that no food is to be wasted. Christ said, gather up the fragments that nothing be lost. Let those who are engaged in any department heed this instruction. Economy is to be learned by the educators and taught to the helpers, not only by precept, but by example.